We've been in a series which we've entitled The Essentials of Faith, a several-week journey that has been looking at Paul's letter to the churches and to the followers of Jesus that are spread out through the area of Galatia. And we've been looking at and discovering the fundamental essentials of faith and community from this letter. This morning we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, and this is actually going to be the end of our series today. There's, there's a sixth chapter to Galatians, and in it Paul just briefly ends with this benediction, with this blessing, with this encouragement, uh, but we will not be looking at that in this series. So my challenge, my invitation to you this week is to look at Galatians 5 and 6 in your Bible, in some quiet time, in some meditation time, to continue to look for the many morsels of truth and warnings which we won't have time to explore today. In Galatians 5, Paul is really beginning to bring his letter to a head. Everything is growing with tension. It's kind of come to this standstill. He has addressed, he has rebuked the many trespasses, the many divisions, and he's called us to walk out in an authority of the gospel despite the divisions that others have created and the influence of the wicked world around them that was laying heavy on their identity. In some ways, the community in which Paul is addressing has become a split personality or a divided personality, and Paul can stand it no more. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde is a novel from the Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson, and it was first published in 1886. Now, it has been remade and retold into movies and TV shows and books and kids' books and poems and even used as public commentary. And time and time again, the story has changed somewhat. But we know uh, the, the main theme has stayed through. And in the original Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, it is about a London lawyer who is named Gabriel. And he investigates this strange occurrence through his friend, his, his old friend, Dr. Henry Jekyll. And his friend is telling him about this co-worker of his that is just so evil. And he, and he does these, these horrible things in a cloak of night. The author of Spark Notes writes, It is a narrative of a respectable doctor who transforms himself into a savage murderer. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde tapped directly into the anxieties of the culture of the time. The Victorian era, named for Queen Victoria, who ruled England for most of the 19th century, was a time of unprecedented technological progress in an age where the European nations carved up the world with their empires. By the end of the century, however, many people were beginning to call into question the ideals of practice that the civilization had defined the era with. Basically, the story, like what we're going to see in Galatians 5, is between two guys who work together. One is good and one is bad. One kidnaps people and performs outrageous acts, and the other is a proper Englishman with a higher education learning background. The lawyer, his friend, is investigating this report, and he begins to take note of one thing that he never meets them at the same time, but their handwriting is exactly the same. 
So as this lawyer, Gabriel, is relating to Mr. Hyde and Mr. Jekyll, he finds that they share the exact same handwriting. The ending just, just as I'm sure you know, is obviously that they are the same person. And in the end, it was a division of progress and personality that was happening inside Jekyll. He had become his own worst enemy. He had let something out in himself that became his own destruction. This morning, where we're at in Galatians 5, I think mirrors this very much. We are going to see that Paul is letting the community know that they have come to a head, that they are actually becoming their own worst enemy. And they are suffering from a split and divided personality. We're not going to have a time to look at Galatians 5 in its entirely today. We're just going to look at a few verses. But the layman's Bible commentary offers this this explanation of chapter 5, just to give us some background of what is happening in Galatians 5 and leading up to the verses we are going to be looking at today. When any new teaching is introduced into a group, whether it's true or false, it is not uncommon for the responses to be divided, frequently with controversy, quarreling, and fits of temper. Let me read that one again. When any new teaching is introduced into the group, whether it's true or false, it is not uncommon for responses to be divided, frequently with controversy, controversy, quarreling, and fits of temper. Like Jekyll and Hyde, Galatians 5 is showing that the church in Galatia had become enslaved victims of their own divided selves and desires. It goes on to say that Paul's mental picture of the disharmony in Galatia is quite graphic. He sees them as wild beasts charging at one another, biting and hoping to prey on the others. Paul calls for them to make peace before the damage becomes irreversible. And that is where we're going to be picking up in Galatians 5 today. That Paul sees that this community is divided, they have split their personality, and that they are attacking each other like savage beasts. They have become their own worst enemy, just like Jekyll and Hyde. This morning we start with that series as we look at this sermon called Your Own Worst Enemy, and we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, 13 through 16. You'll find it on the screen in front of you. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. You can also follow along in your Bible if you want as well. Galatians five thirteen through 16. You are called, my brothers and sisters. This is Paul writing. We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a lot said in those short three verses. There's a lot that can be said and taken away from this short passage, and even more about what we see in Galatians 5. But this morning we are going to draw just eight conclusions and quick points from this passage. 
you should have received the bulletin when you came in. And inside that bulletin, you'll find a place to fill in some blanks. And it just helps you follow along. It helps you chew on some of these thoughts later on throughout the week. As you find your bulletin, let me just say the eight things we're going to be looking at at Galatians 5 is not so much as introspective, how do I let it change me and Jesus, but it's actually how we are going to need to deal with things as a community. Paul is writing this letter to communities. He is not writing it to individuals. He is writing this to a various collective of oikoses, of extended families and house churches that have spread and extended throughout the Galatia. So today we look at this passage and we look to see what it tells us as individuals of what our responsibility is to communal life together. And that is the lens in which we are going to be looking at these verses from Galatians 5. Throughout our study on Galatians, we've traveled through many essentials of the faith and we've looked at various things that were happening to this church and the things that they were suffering from. We've learned that Paul hits hard the evil that's influencing them, the ways that they have divided themselves, how they've listened to the influence of Judaizers, how they've questioned his authority, and how the insiders continue to make loopholes for the outsiders to walk through just to discover God and to discover faith. So your first point is this. Christ has set us free Uh, excuse me, Christ set us to walk a path free of outside influences, divisive differences, oppressive rules, others' expectations, and ritualistic practices to God. This is what we have seen so far in Galatians, and it's what we are going to see again in Galatians 5, is that throughout all of Galatians, Paul is reminding us that Christ indeed set us to walk a path free of outside influences. The outside does not define the inside. Divisive differences, the groups in which we stick into, either by age or by theology or political realm, those things can no longer define us. Oppressive rules, the the things that others put on us or put on us as expectations, those things are not to define us or enslave us. We should not have ritualistic practices to God. Christ sets us to walk a path free of these things. In fact, we see that Paul, throughout Galatians 5, reminds us that we are called to firmly plant our identity into the freedom of Christ alone. This is the singular personality in which the church of Galatia should allow to define them. It's the only thing that mattered, that that they were called to firmly plant their identity into the freedom of Christ, but instead they created all of these other things. They They had created themselves to be slaves of outside influences, of divisive differences, oppressive rules, and others' expectations and ritualistic practices to God. Instead, all they should have done is had this singular personality in which Paul continually reminds throughout Galatians 5 that they are to firmly plant themselves in freedom of Christ. We see it first in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Saw it again in Galatians 5.13. 
you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But as Paul's writing to his church, he doesn't see them as people that have planted their freedom, their identity, into the freedom of Christ. What he sees is people that have walked back into slavery. In this passage that we looked at, Paul lets us know that as a church, not only do we split when we let these things affect us, but when we allow these things to affect our church, they actually undo the work of Christ and make us like tied up slaves to them. You might say there's no longer, when, when churches fall victim to these things, that there's no longer a good Jekyll and a bad Hyde in our community. Actually, all becomes undone, and there is just negativity. The language that Paul uses when he's talking about uh, how they've enslaved themselves again or how they can walk back into the, the yoke of slavery, the, the word they're actually used it, it means to be restrained, to be tied up, to be uh, forced into something. Paul wants us to really know that it is important that we do not walk ourselves back into the burden of slavery. See that in Galatians 5.1 again. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let yourselves be tied up again. Firmly plant yourselves in the freedom of Christ. Do not allow yourselves to become slaves again to each other. Christ has set us free to walk a path free of outside influences, divisive differences, oppressive rules, others' expectations, and ritualistic practices to God. Falling victim to the burden of these things once again puts us under a yoke of slavery, that which the law was up to this point. This list of burdens has no place in the church. Paul calls the people guilty of bringing them into the church agitators. He says, you have allowed agitators to enslave you. Those who whisper to each other, those who talk to each other, those who are ruining the church by causing division, those who are creating clubs and saying, look, you need to listen to us. Paul's not an authority. Those who you are saying uh, hold expectations over them. Paul says, they are agitators. You are not to listen to them. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Why? In other words, they have become a blemish to the community. Paul is saying, these people are ruining your community. I don't want them to reproduce. Whatever they have is contagious. Their negativity, their ability to undermine the work of Christ is contagious, and you should do everything to stay away from them. They shall not be allowed to reproduce within your community, or your community will once again walk into the slave-free yoke. If you are here this morning and you do not feel free of outside influences, divisive differences and oppressive rules or others' expectations, or ritualistic practices as God, you're struggling with feeling the yoke of slavery. If you're here this morning and you are an agitator of those things, then watch yourself carefully. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. You're contagiously full of the wrong spirits. And Paul says that you should not reproduce what you are in this community. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Galatians 5.2 says, Christ will be of no value to you. 
Paul says that if we allow ourselves to fall back into these traps of the conversations of circumcision, or if we make uh, ourselves victim to these outside influences, the divisive differences, these rules, these expectations, these practices, we actually make Christ of no value to us. If we walk ourselves back into the yoke of slavery, we have not firmly planted ourselves in the freedom of Christ. And at the end of the day, all that we have done is nothing good but actually lost value in Christ. That's a strong word. To make Christ of no value to you. If we fall victim to these things, if we, if we fall victim to the division of these things, such as the church did within regards to circumcision, we taste like death to those that come into our community. And Christ is of no value to us because we have become our own Christ. That is what Paul is saying. You are becoming your own worst enemy. When we become enslaved in circumcising conditions that lead us to fall victim to outside influences, divisive differences, oppressive rules, expectations, and practices, we must realize in slavery, our community's identity, sorry, this thing is not flipping right today, in slavery, our community's identity, mission, and authority in the gospel message is taking off course and undermined. Not only has Christ become of no value to you, but you have actually taken yourself off course as a community, and you've actually undermined the good work of which Paul had invested in them. All of the things of the gospel message that Paul had given to the community were now undermined. Christ was of no value. They had become slaves again, and no good even exists because it was all undermined. Galatians 5, 7, Paul writes, you were running a good race. Your community was doing really good. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? I love that language that the NIV uses. It it reminds me of watching like a ballroom dance. And and when you want to uh, dance with somebody, you say, may I cut in here? This is what language Paul is using here. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who, Who took you away from your bride? The King James says, who hindered you? You were running a good race. Who hindered you? Who stood in the path of your running? Who did you let stop you from winning the race? The New Living Translation says, who held you back? You were running a good race. Who held you back? Who did you allow to undermine the mission and mission in your community By falling victim to these things. Who did you allow to hold you back? The original word here that they're translating, when you look it up in Strong's, is actually speaking to a ship rudder that is taken off course. Paul is hitting hard. Your community has become enslaved. You have not planted yourself in the freedom of Christ. You have split personalities. Now tell me, where did you go wrong? Who did you let take you off course like that? Who did you let drive the ship that should have not been driving the ship? Paul's point isn't to find the enemy in the midst and oust them, but was to point them 
that they as a community had become their own worst enemy and that they themselves were responsible for the ways that things were going. He had turned them to find out that no one should have been standing in their way, that they themselves were at fault. You are the reason the community has not yet gone further. He goes on then to use a cooking analogy. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. When I was in fifth grade, I think, we had some people from the Chesapeake Bay Foundation come into our school. And he had this this big glass of water that was muddy and it was dirty. And it was, I think this was right around the time, one of the first oil spills that happened in the Gulf. And, And one of the main trains of thought back then to clean water was to pull out the pieces you could pull out, but then to dump more clean water, to reroute more streams, and and to try to dilute it. And so he had a gallon of drinking water that he poured into this big, muddy cup. Now, do you think the water got any more drinkable? No, it didn't dilute it. All it did was make more muddy water. It didn't get any better. A little bit of bad yeast works through the whole batch of dough. It ruins the whole bread. If you allow these things, this division, this split personality to exist in you and define you, then at the end of the day, let me tell you, it is going to work through the whole community and kill the whole community, Paul is saying. It's going to ruin everything. Adding more clean water isn't going to fix anything. In Jekyll and Hyde... His solve was to create a solution, uh, a chemical solution in which would actually separate him from himself. That, okay, well, we can't coexist. So maybe we can split ourselves. And so he had come up with this recipe of chemicals that he thought would be able to split Mr. Hyde and Mr. Jekyll apart. When we enslave ourselves, in that slavery, our community becomes our own worst enemy. It's important to notice that in Paul's letter, he never says, God will punish you for what you're doing. God isn't going to uh, close down your churches in Galatia. Paul doesn't say God is going to ruin you. He isn't going to send you into exile. The warning Paul says is that you will kill yourselves. If you allow this to exist in you as individuals and the way you respond to community, if you allow it to be part of your culture, you will kill yourselves. We see that here in Galatians 5.15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. There's no punishment from God here. The punishment is that you've become your own worst enemy and you will kill yourself as a community. It will lead us to biting and destroying each other if we allow ourselves to become enslaved to our modern day circumcision conditions, if we fall victim to outside influences, divisive differences, oppressive rules, others' expectations, and ritualistic practices to God. If we bite and devour each other, watch out. You too will be destroyed by each other. One of the things that is interesting to note in this, in this line in Galatians 5.15 that we looked at is that the word in which is used there for devour actually means to wound the soul of another, to cut, to hurt, to inflict 
spiritual damage on somebody. What we do and what we say and how we respond and how we divide carries so much more weight than we realize. The things that we say, that we think of other people, the things that we say, that we think of our community, these things speak weight. I have walked through our church lobby and I've heard people say things about our church. Our church is dead. I've heard that twice in one Sunday. Guess what? Paul says there's power in words. If you continue to say things like that, you are allowing that to take part of your identity. You will be destroyed by each other because you are cutting the wound. You are creating wounds in the souls of others. In freedom, we will find all the rules through just loving God and loving our neighbor. The secret, if you will, Paul says, to firmly planting yourselves in the freedom of Christ alone and not falling victim to anything else is that it's not about creating these loopholes that the church was doing for people to fall under the law so they could be right with God. Paul actually says, no, no, guys, the whole law isn't meant to enslave you. The whole law isn't meant to be kept in such a ritualistic way. We're not continuing this old-fashioned tradition because that's important. What I'm telling you is what's behind that is what is important. That when you love God and love your neighbor as yourself, that you are actually keeping all the rules. Believe it or not, this is not a Paul idea. This was the idea from Leviticus all along. We're going to look at that in a minute. Harrison, in his book, Christian Liberty and Practice, writes this. In some ways, it's easier to live as a slave than to make right use of one's freedom. When given freedom, we don't do so well with it. But when we are given rules to live within, it is easier because we know what's in and what's out. In some ways, it is easier to live as a slave than to make right use of one's freedom. And that is exactly what we see happening here in Galatians 5. For the entire law, Paul wrote in the verses we read, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But as I said, he isn't preaching anything new. Write this down and look at it this week. Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. Tell me you don't hear the same heart that Paul is using here all the way back in the Old Testament. Do not go spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Interesting enough, in danger there means physical, spiritual, or mental. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so that you will not share in their guilt. If you see people creating these problems, rebuke them so that you do not carry the yoke of their slavery as well. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's the DNA of a God-honoring community. This is a passage they would have known well. They were holding the law over each other. They were trying to get each other to fit into these boxes. And so, at the end of the day, 
Paul's reference in Galatians 5 is to the law to tell them, hey, even in your midst of looking to do something right, you've missed the mark. This has been the goal since day one. Harrison continues, if one wants to be in bondage, if one wants to be in slavery, let him serve others in the bondage of love. So if you want to be enslaved by something, make sure that it is something that is the heart behind God, that you are only talking in love and not in judgment or division. If one wants to be in bondage, let him serve others in the bondage of love. Paul is the quick out to point out that we cannot use our freedom for unholy natural cravings, and he gives a list of those things. We are to use our freedom to not indulge in unholy cravings, but to serve each other in honor as we step with the Holy Spirit. The only way to use our freedom as followers of Jesus is to love God and to love our neighbor, to love each other, to be a God-honoring community. We need to be this. This means we can't harbor ill will or judgment or hate or divide based on differences or age or whatever you want to divide on. In fact, if you're doing those things, we automatically become out of step with the Spirit. And not just you, but all of us, because what we bring to the table hurts us as a community. The only way to live in freedom is to use your freedom in loving your neighbor and stepping with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, so I say walk by the Spirit. Interesting enough, he talks about freedom three times in uh, Galatians 5, and he also talks about what it means to walk in the Spirit as the method to get there. In Galatians 5, Paul not only hits hard on freedom, but walking on the Spirit. So I say in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He lists all of these things that we need to stay away from, sexual moralities, magic. But he's also talking about the way people provoke and divide each other. To walk in the Spirit will keep us from gratifying these things, which are flesh. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As long as believers are still human, they will never fully outgrow the lure of the sinful nature that responds to the wants, drives, and the matters of self. Moral conflict in the Christian life is an ongoing reality. However, the more a believer learns to live by the Spirit, the his or her self-centered desires are diminished. If we want to climb out of a place that we see the church of Galatian in, if we want to climb out of a place like that, and we want to be a God-honoring community, we must do so by remaining in step with the Spirit. And that will keep us firmly founded in the freedom of Christ. Friends, Galatians 5 tells us that we will destroy ourselves if our conceited pride, disgruntled provoking, and jealousy drives us to devour and wound each other's soul. Charles Erdman says, the snap and bite at one another, as some of them are doing, is to ruin themselves. We will destroy ourselves if our conceited pride, disgruntled provoking, and jealousy drives us to devour and wound each other's soul. Heed 
Paul's warning again. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. And he even pushes it out again in closing of Galatians 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. These things are what lead to the divisions, to the expectations, to the losing of freedom in Christ and undermining the work of your church community. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's great to talk about Galatians 5 in this abstract as we did today. This is one of my favorite chapters in Galatians so far. But what does it mean for us in the concrete? What does it mean for us to walk it out? Looking at the story of Jekyll and Hyde, when his scientific interests led to mystical studies as the divided nature of a man, he hoped to find some solution to split his nature. Jekyll insists that man is not truly one, but truly two. And he records how he dreamed of separating the good and evil natures. They know they cannot coexist in a dualistic way. They hope this chemical portion will separate them and create space for them to coexist. However, as Paul is telling the church in Galatians, a division in personality cannot stand. In the end of Jekyll and Hyde, One had to die to the other. And the the lawyer, Gabriel, walks in and finds Jekyll on the floor dead. Sadly, the good guy lost. In each of us, there is something that is a split personality that has to die to the other. One of our sides, the evil side, the dualistic spin in our lives has to die to the other. We need to firmly plant ourselves in the freedom of Christ and do so realizing that that is where freedom is found and not to put ourselves under the slavery of all of those things I've listed. Outside influences, divisive differences, oppressive rules, others' expectations, and ritualistic practices to God. In the end, inside each one of us, something has to die to walk out of that. However, Paul's letter is also telling us that as a community, as East Petersburg Mennonite Church, as the, church in, the churches that made up the churches of Galatia, there are divisions in your churches. And guys, one of them has to die to the other. Because right now, it's just all negativity. We cannot exist as a community that is dualistically split. Divide, division in personality will actually undermine Christ. I close with this introduction that we read. When any new teaching is introduced, or let's say when any new staff, or when any new idea, or any new mission, or when any new political regime, or in the midst of any transition, or within the gaps of age, are you hearing me? Is introduced into a group, whether true or false, it is not uncommon for responses to be divided frequently with controversy quarreling, and fits of temper. We throw temper tantrums even in our old age. You don't have to turn the news on very long to notice that. Paul's mental picture of the disharmony in Galatia is quite graphic. The community had become wild beasts charging at one another, biting and hoping to prey on the others. Paul calls for them to make peace before the damage becomes irreversible. We will do good to heed this calling. In what areas have you lived into this? In what areas are you responsible for provoking and preying on others? 
In what areas have you seen this and not called it into accountability? If we allow these things to coexist in our community and in us personally, it will undermine our mission. We will defeat ourselves. We will defeat our community. We must hear Paul's call to a singular personality and peace in planting ourselves in the freedom of Christ. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It speaks of honor. Look around you. How do you live honor to those around you? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. As the worship team comes up, I leave you with this. One of the problems that the Israelites had in their captivity is that they actually grew to love their exile. They actually grew to be okay with it. They actually grew to be okay with the idea that this is how things are. It's just death. We just got to wake up and slave ourselves away and die. The church of Galatia had grown accustomed to listening to other authorities and dividing themselves on that. And they liked it the way it was. And that's why Paul comes hitting hard. We must be careful that we do not come to love our exile or a life as it is, that we push on to experience more of Christ.